Up next, we have Phil, a former cop who does not self-identify as a cop, and he's going to share his story of awakening, living with PTSD, and uh, where where we move forward in, in our lives and in policing. As a matter of fact, that's what's happening. We're like having fun talking over the intro thing, but it's going to get cut out because we'll drop that those channels. And then, uh, yeah, what a slick way to let people get comfortable on the show, Mark. You did work in AV. I like it. Is this is this your creation? Yeah, this. <laughs> that's a video of him playing the song that we're listening to. Nice. This is sweet. I say keep it. <laughs> Yeah, the best intro we did is we just started talking to the guy because we called him and he's like, "Call me back," and then we uh, called him and then uh, then he <laughs> he was just talking about smoking two ounces of weed a day after taking the super like a whole a one ounce dab. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That was the guy that you it. had yeah. last time. So that's how we just cut in from that part. We're gonna edit later. <laughs> like, yeah, this is all the good shit. They'll never be on the podcast. Like, no. Really sweet, Mark. Thanks. I told Venas about the Richie Hodden thing. I said, "This is how connected your verse is." <laughs> I said, "Mark makes a really nice music." Yeah, but what, that sounds really sweet. Kind of makes me think of Richie Hodden. And the guy he made it with, he's like, "Oh yeah, me and him met at a Richie Hodden show." I'm like, "Exactly. That's <laughs> that's why the universe is in charge of this." Welcome to the psychedelic timeshare. I'm Mark Couillard. And I'm Ian Ben Weiss. And we got our uh, we got a special guest here. Um, we're not gonna we'll we'll slowly figure out more about who and what he is. Mystery man. So we can say your first name, right? You're cool with that yes, part. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So today we've got as a wonderful guest Phil, and Phil is originally from California and moved to Texas where he was uh, in the police force, basically the police operations for 13 years of which the first year and a half was as a uh, jailer in Travis County and then spent the next 11 and a half years as a police officer. That's that's correct. Awesome. And uh, yeah, and then since then has been on his own medicine journey of healing with uh, cannabis and uh, other natural medicines. Can- cannabis is is where the journey started. That was uh, one of the first steps. Yeah, that seems to be the case for for so for so many people these days. And uh, well, yeah, tell us how that. Uh, what was when did that first step happen? I had experimented with cannabis, and I you know smoked pot in in high school and college. Because you were in California, right? For, Correct. So was, <laughs> but but it was not legal at that time. Got it. Uh, even medical actually was later than when, when I was experimenting with cannabis. Um, but I'd used it in, in a you know recreational sense at parties and stuff like that with friends, like a lot of people do. Um, and it had been so long. You know, it had been 20 years since I had used cannabis, I'd been a police officer for, for 13 years and was not using cannabis during that time or a sure. long time before. So, you know, I had, I had experienced cannabis a lot 
working as a patrol officer, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's one of the easiest substances to detect. The smell is very distinctive <laughs> and that's, that's usually it's downfall, um, with young people getting in trouble with it. Uh, but you know, my experience with cannabis as, as a police officer, I mean, obviously here in the Austin area, there's a lot of cannabis in the area. It's, it's what it's known for. And so you, you, you encounter it constantly. And so I had, I had arrested a lot of people uh, for cannabis and was pretty indifferent about it. I mean, I didn't really have an opinion as far as, you know, like I was saving the world or anything like that. It was kind of like just doing my job. Uh, but it was easy, and, and it, you know, finding people with cannabis in Austin is easy. And so <laughs> buyer's market. <laughs> when, I had, when I had my own breakdown, I guess I would call it, in, at the beginning of 2019, uh, with, you know, had some suicidal ideations, and that was the last day that I worked. Uh, I went home and, and called my doctor and left work. Uh, I went out on medical leave and then after a period of time ended up deciding that I didn't want to be a police officer anymore. Um, after I had resigned, it was actually pretty soon after because the time that I spent on medical leave uh, was a few months. And then by the time I actually resigned and was officially no longer a police officer anymore, I had the opportunity to use a cannabis tincture uh, and the effects that I got from that uh, made it such a massive difference on, you know, because I had PTSD, still have PTSD is something obviously that I still struggle with and work on all the time. But at the time, I mean, the, you know, my chief symptoms were, you know, a lot of anger, a lot of irritability, a lot of anxiety, uh, all those things that anybody that's dealt with PTSD, especially, you know, now the, the, a lot of the people I know that I've met through the veteran community and with the cannabis community uh, have a lot of the same stories um, with their experiences. And that's, that's where I found so much, uh, such a, a community was with the veterans that I met uh, through Texas Veterans for Mar Medical Marijuana. A lot of acronyms, just like in the military. You know? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Were there certain um, events that you you know that uh, correlate to your uh, leaving the police force? As far as you know, like these uh, PTSD or you know, like you said, suicidal ideations, or was there something specific that uh, connected you to cannabis? You know, or is this well, you know, how how does that kind of path go? It's my understanding of it now is so much clearer than it was obviously at that time. Uh, at the time, the, the the problem that I believed it was it was PTSD, and that you know the the conditions of of the workplace had had led to this. And I, and it was if I stayed, I was going to end up killing myself. I was also drinking myself to death at the same time. So that was another big problem. Was you know as a police officer, my only options was either you know if I go tell my doctor I'm suicidal what are they going to do? The first thing they're going to do is, is you'll be removed from duty. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you're most likely, especially if you tell anybody at work, Hey, I'm not been feeling good. I think I have PTSD and then you get labeled. 
And same thing in the military, right? Yes. Like exactly, you're you're compromising your job, your pay, your rank, all that stuff. Exactly. So everyone's disincentivized from uh, and seeking treatment. The the advantage f- for me in leaving, and I think it's it's the way that I was able to successfully do it, was that my identity wasn't tied up in in that job. Uh, it was a part of my identity, but it wasn't my entire identity. I have a you know I had a lot of support from outside the job. There's not a lot of, a lot of people, the, the way it, it can alienate you from, from friends and family. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times the only people that police officers associate with are other police officers. And I, I mean, I can only say, I can only tell my own story and experience, but now looking back at a lot of those friendships, they, those weren't friends. They're people I knew, people I worked with and that people I could get drunk with and talk about that stuff and just wallow in it. Uh, but I didn't know any different. So that part of, of the PTSD from the job, as I understood it then, I thought it was, that was the whole problem. As I progressed through this journey, I mean, I I start with, with cannabis and I found cannabis to be hugely beneficial just as far as day-to-day functioning especially with anxiety and irritability, uh, interacting with my family. That was the, the biggest thing. Like I could, I could go out, you know, we could go out to a restaurant. We could go to the grocery store. We could start doing everyday, everyday life things that most people take for granted. People that don't have PTSD because they don't, people don't understand what being in those conditions is like and you don't want to have a blow up in public you know in the middle of the grocery store end up you know causing a scene getting the police called on you something like that so a lot of people with PTSD especially veterans and 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 former police officers and and first responders they they isolate so and that was my that was my default was to isolate and drink and because you got to quarantine yourself right from these experiences you're having that you're saying aren't getting processed in the whole you know way you guys are operating yeah and 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 if you seek treatment you 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 risk losing your job you risk losing your position or getting labeled but then you also i already know my options when i go to the doctor they're going to want to put me on antidepressants which I've, I've done, I've been on a number of them. Um, and same thing with, with anxiety. Like I, I don't want to be on benzos. I know what that does. I know what, what it does to, to your brain and how it, that's not a, a short term thing. Yeah. And so I don't want to be fried on benzos and I don't want to lose my job. But then once I started realizing how little of my true identity was tied to that person who I thought was me, that's where I started distancing and when I finally understood I can leave, you know, I can leave, leave this and, and leave it behind clean. Um, but, but cannabis just was really for day to day. It also make made and makes me much more compassionate, uh, much more patient. I mean, a perfect example on my, on my way over here to record, uh, you noticed I might've been running a few minutes late. I stopped at the Walgreens uh, up the road a ways and ran in. I figured, you know, I was like, I had like, I was like five minutes early. So I was like, I'll be perfect on time. I'll just run in and grab something. 
And so I go in and of course there's, there's a line and I, you know, I just grab a drink and a few snacks. And so I'm standing there waiting and I finally get to the front and the lady in front of me is paying. (laughs) She's paying with loose change. (laughs) And like, by this time I'm already running behind and like, and I thought about that in that moment, I thought about like my old self, the person I used to be, and then the person I am now. And like, I'm not, I'm not saying I didn't get frustrated and I didn't start to go there, but I've also now have the tools to catch it. And I understand where it comes from. So I'm looking at her counting the change and, and then, you know, the clerk's counting it and it's taking forever and I'm just trying to go. And so I look a little closer and I realize it's a lady. She's buying, she's buying medicine, like children's uh, Tylenol or something like that, like a little thing. Before I would have just gotten mad thinking about myself. Now I look across, I look at this lady and see who she is, you know, see her and feel empathy. And that's like, that's what cannabis does for me. I'm able to slow down and love people i mean really i see that person i'm like this lady's paying for a kid's medicine with loose change and i'm in a rush to record a podcast i mean that's (laughs) not important but i can see that in that moment and i can catch myself so that's like the huge huge thing that i had with cannabis and like i said uh alcohol was a massive part of my life um it was when i was a cop and then it was when I wasn't and towards I would say that towards the end of my career probably the last four or five years there wasn't a day that I didn't get drunk there wasn't a single night that I didn't get drunk because it was all I had it was my only tool and unfortunately as again as people with PTSD or more specifically people you know family members or loved ones understand is what it's like to live with somebody like that. Uh, and it's, it's miserable because, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's easiest to treat the people that, that are closest to you the worst, especially when you're an abusive person. And I can see now, like with how angry I was and how reactive I was, I just didn't see it. You don't see it when you're in it. And it's like one of those, you don't know until you know, and then you see it. Uh, so alcohol continued like a year after, actually, to the day, coincidentally, I continued to drink alcohol a full year after I had left, and I was also using cannabis, um, which actually reduced my alcohol consumption sure. significantly. And that's what what did what did yeah what did that uh, open up for you know or what did that because like because you're talking about in the way of tools right. You're using this culturally approved tool, alcohol. Said you guys weren't using it to process. You're you're sharing the information about the tough stuff on the job, right? But you're not necessarily processing it. Like you said, you're wallowing in it. So you start to access cannabis at the same time, and it starts to downregulate the amount of alcohol. And what is that? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, they call it like the the police term for that would be like choir practice. They call it choir practice, and the the old school guys always talk about like oh back in the day and these are the guys that would be retired now but they would always say oh back in the day we used to have choir practice you know on our friday we'd get off and take the beer that we took from the kids overnight and meet up at the ballpark and and have choir practice and you know they drink 
drink the beer that they took from the kids and then drive home in their police cars. And so, and that's, I mean, that's a legit thing. Guys brag about that. But the discussions that went on in, you know, choir practice or in any kind of social drinking stuff is not, not like the therapeutic type. It's more of the bragging and, and BSing and, and uh, a lot of ego inflation type of stuff. Got it. So, well, we, we know then how these substances can be used to, uh, yeah, influence groups' behavior and want to give people, right, the coffee and the cigarettes so they'll, <laughs> you know, work hard and <laughs> pay attention. So, uh, so then uh, when you said it took you a year on, on alcohol after you'd gotten out to uh, be finished with that and just to, f- to finally completely put down alcohol I finally had come gained the clarity to realize how destructive it was both to my health like mental health and well-being and and my physical health I mean when I was still a cop uh, I was starting to have a lot of serious medical problems I'm 40 but I've you know at the time I mean this was I was probably 35 36 and they did some you know a bunch of medical tests and stuff my triglycerides were like over 2000. I think like a hundred is high. Um, you know, and that's all alcohol. That's like straight up alcohol, but then all my, my cholesterol, all that kind of stuff. I mean, from, from, from then until now I've lost 50 pounds. And so the, 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 the next step after cannabis and the benefits of that and then re- reduction in alcohol consumption. I mean, it significantly reduced my consumption. I was, I think at, at my high point, I was, I mean, I was drinking my, my drink of choice, like in my worst times was Papa vodka, like plastic bottle vodka. And I started, <laughs> I started buying that because there was like some playboy podcast or not podcast playboy, like YouTube video of somebody that's like reviewing plastic bottle vodkas like blindfolded right and he got to pop off because we were i think we were drinking some other like cheap vodka you know and some some skull or some mccormick's those were my go-to's during the alcoholism yeah as as long as you can like squeeze the bottle to get it into the cup faster you know but but this playboy thing and the guy was like you know the alcohol the liquor expert was like pop off oh this stuff this is pretty good and so i started drinking because it's not bad i mean it it wasn't bad it was my drink of choice was topo chico or some kind of sparkling water and and you know fill a one of those big insulated like yeti cups about half full of vodka, half full of water and some lime and and have like four of those in a night. So and that was for years. And so, you know, I reduced my drinking to maybe a couple drinks a night during that year after I had left and I had started being able to to medicate with cannabis. Uh but the big thing was in so when I left was in January of 2019 and then so i think it was january 23rd if i want to say exactly um but january 23rd the following year exactly after is when i stopped drinking and that wasn't on purpose it just happened that way because on at the beginning of the year my wife somehow convinced me to go to a yoga class with her um it was actually a a a new year's day yoga class what was that? <laughs> was Alexa trying to jump in there? Or 
She's listening. They're, they're or, the, or the lizard people. There's m- multiple options. Right? Yes. Where was I? Uh, <laughs> yoga. Pop-off vodka. Yoga. <laughs> we can go back to pop-off. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so my wife wa- convinced me to, to, to go to, to a yoga class. And I think I was, like, my condition at the time, like, because I was still drinking and, and it was, like, decent. I was in, like, an okay place, but I certainly, like, wasn't on any like healing path it was kind of like status quo at that point and i don't know why i agreed to go like man i must have been feeling nice and generous was it the uh was it the hot yoga so that the pop-off is just like (laughs) leaking out of your body during (laughs) (laughs) this is actually coincidentally it was a uh a yoga nidra class, which is kind of like an oddball thing that not many people know about. It's like yogic sleep. So it's like a real quiet meditative thing. And is that where you're, you're kind of bringing your attention to different parts of the body. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's like a, you know, a quiet, soothing voice, you know, it's, it's like a guided meditation, but it's almost a, a state between waking and sleep. Uh, you're, it's not sleeping. You have awareness, but you're pretty disconnected if it works right. And so that's, that was the class we went to. And that was on January 1st. It was on New Year's Day of 2020. And I mean, anybody that knew me before knows like, um, that's not me like to go to yoga. And I had all the, the typical, typical misconceptions I, you know, yoga was like a bunch of thin women stretching and, and that was it. I thought it was like a women's exercise class. Um, cause my wife had done yoga in the past, but I just, I just thought it was like a women's exercise thing, like a, an aerobics class or something. I didn't know the history of yoga. I didn't, didn't really know anything. So I went in like this blank canvas and like that first time, I guess you say it's like getting a peek behind the curtain. And I didn't know, I didn't know what it was, but you know, now I just see it as like, that was just a little hint of peace. And for somebody like me, I, you know, suffer a lot of anxiety, you know, a lot of anxiety just around being a perfectionist, not being good enough, all, you know, all this kind of stuff, performance and, and just stressed about stuff, lose sleep. That was the other thing about cannabis, especially cannabis enabled me to sleep. I was having nightmares, um, you know, would wake up completely sweating head to toe. Um, but yeah, violent nightmares, repetitive stuff, like real graphic, vivid stuff. And so that was, especially with alcohol, I would just try to get myself drunk enough to, to go to sleep and not, not have to wake up to those. Um, but you, you get so used to the default being like a mild hangover at a minimum. And, you know, that's what, what I found when I, st- when I quit drinking was like, wow, I don't have to make so many excuses, like blaming it on allergies. Like, you know, <laughs> in the Austin area, the allergies are horrible. And, and so it's like, you know, uh, oh, it must be my allergies is why I have this headache today, you know. <laughs> so, the, so the yoga class, that was my, my first taste of, of, you know, it was like, I guess the Sanskrit term, like Shanti. You know, that little, that it was a taste of peace. And I was like, what is this? And so w- I started, you know, going to regular yoga classes, going to like, you know, vinyasa flow classes and some like restorative stuff. And I found like during Shavasana, like the corpse pose, the final resting pose, that's like 
I was waiting to get there because because I want to I want to see it again. I want to touch it again. I want to whatever it is. And of course, I don't have a vocabulary for any of this at the time because I don't I don't know what it is. I'm not seeing this as some kind of spiritual experience or spiritual practice at that point. I was completely closed off to something like that. But just getting that quiet mind, that's really what was such a draw. And so that was January 1st. And like somewhere around the 20th to 23rd, that's the last drink I had. And it wasn't, it was just a, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not doing this. And that was, again, the yoga gave me like something to do instead of sitting at my kitchen table drinking vodka, watching YouTube or whatever. And so instead of this nightly routine of getting drunk, it it became going to yoga class and so that that went and I, and I found a lot of benefit I mean just overall physically obviously like I said I've lost 50 pounds and I didn't think I had 50 pounds to lose um, I've started gaining a little bit back but it's like healthy you know it's 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 again gaining more balance which obviously yoga just brings everything into balance is is what I found now so I so once I was doing yoga, not drinking, and able to use cannabis, I started getting a lot more balance in my life, but it would kind of be in these cycles um, to where I would think, yeah, things are good, and then I'd fall off, I'd blow up, I'd get suicidal again, and kind of do this cycle. And like uh, like David Bass, uh, who I met through Texas Normal and Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana, like when he was on your podcast and he talked about the Veteran Olympics, that's something that resonated because it's like, that's exactly what it is. It's like you, you go and you, you, it's like every time you're just back, you find yourself back again. And, and oh yeah, the, you, the PTSD Olympics. Yeah. That's what it was. I'm sorry. The veteran, does yeah. veteran Olympics, yeah, it's PTSD okay. Olympics. Uh, I'm like three steps ahead of my words, <laughs> um, but the, the PTSD Olympics to where, to where you're in this trench. And I, and I even, before I understand again, like a Sanskrit term, like samskaras, like these these pathways, and it's almost like neural pathways or these you know effects of things that have happened in the past, and you fall into these patterns. And I never recognized the patterns before until once I you know again you don't know until you know, and then you start seeing it. Alcohol definitely clouds the patterns, seeing the patterns. Yeah. <laughs> so. Again, I was in this this like cycle where I would kind of fall back off and I would wouldn't feel good and then I would like get my feet back under me, but that gets old after you do it a few times and you start thinking the the, the point I was at probably by last summer I was kind of at the point at the end of the summer and it, you know, I'd been working as like doing contractor stuff, handyman stuff, making good enough money, so that that wasn't an issue. And we had taken a couple trips. We'd go to Colorado, go to the mountains, go camping, all this, like, cool shit. You know, stuff that you're supposed to be happy at. And I'm still not drinking. Um, but by then, the pandemic had had kicked off and really started a lot of isolation. So my I wasn't able to practice in studio. And what I understand now is, like, again, even at that time, I was too proud to admit that I needed community, that I needed, like, just to relate with other people and needed to love people and have them love me. And like just those interactions 
with people with you know with a common just positive thing going whatever it is whatever you want to call it but that community and when the pandemic started and they stopped you know they shut the studios down they shut the gyms down they shut the yoga studios down and and I was even like practicing before they shut down we were like starting to practice in in masks which is like really hard to do when you're doing you know pranayama breathing exercises and all kinds of stuff and you got a mask on your face and I've got a beard so it's like the you know it's riding around on my face and it's just awkward but I was even willing like I didn't care I was like I I need this this is something that I need and so studios closed and I started falling off again because you know you try to practice at home but it's just not the same you I can't I can't find that that disconnect to where I can just let go and that's what it is it's really like letting go um so I started falling off again I just wasn't you know again here we go with with this cycle and so it was a rough summer when studios when the yoga studios and gyms opened back up again I guess like in August I think they may have opened limited type stuff uh came up there there was a they were going to host a yoga teacher training and it was like man this yoga has been like really good for me and being away from it has been tough and so we said forget it you know forget about it we'll just put it put it on a credit card we don't have the cash but we'll just put it on a card not worry about it and go do this teacher training it's going to give me something to do give me a goal like maybe this is it and so I started that training like just blank like I just like doing yoga I found some peace in it but still I was hostile to any idea of like spiritual stuff I had some hang-ups from like I was raised not religious but then now that I understand how lost I was like as a teenager and as a young adult which I just didn't acknowledge at the time um I experimented with Christianity like with what you would consider modern western Christianity, conservative, you know, that, that whole kick. And that was like in my like early twenties, maybe 23 to, you know, to when I, to when I was a police officer for a while, we were still going, doing the church thing. So I had some like hangups on that. Like a lot of people do. And so I was, I was hostile to like spiritual stuff. And so I didn't really consider it, but on the book list of, uh, for the, the yoga teacher training was, you know, like anatomy stuff and, and, and like yoga books. But then there was also the, the yoga sutras of, of Pantanjali. And I'm like, Oh, what is this? And I think the, the book is the, it's a, you know, obviously a, a translation cause it's all written in Sanskrit and it's like the sutras are real brief. And so it's this, this book is, uh, I think it's called the path of the yoga sutras Bachman. And so I got the book and I was like, ah, whatever. And so I started looking at it like maybe two weeks before the class started. Like right when I got the book list, I ordered them and got the books. And so I started looking through this book and reading it. Like really kind of casually dismissing it and just like, let me look at what this stuff is. I know what the anatomy book is and whatever. And so when I started reading it, I started seeing, seeing descriptions of things that I had been experiencing through yoga, but just didn't didn't have the vocabulary for. And so that's when I started saying, what what is this? You know, what what am I doing? 
And so from there, that's what really increased, um, I would just say my awareness or my, the, the way I perceived a lot of the things that yoga was doing. Um, so during that time, now I've got cannabis, no alcohol, yoga, and I, I had started. So you got the practice, you got the medicine, you got the manual, you got all three of those things together now. And and so I, in the meantime, I had also come across some stuff about microdosing psilocybin. And so, you know, especially with treatment of depression and that kind of stuff. And so I tried microdosing for probably like a month, you know, maybe doing like real small, like a tenth of a gram or something like that. And I didn't really notice anything. I mean, these things seemed to be kind of the same. So I, I, then I had started experimenting with taking larger doses of psilocybin. Um, nothing too heavy. But started experiencing that and found psilocybin enabled me to, to <clears throat> I guess I would say, like, Be more empathetic, but I guess em- empathy isn't like a big enough word. <laughs> I don't know that there would be a, a proper word for for how it opened me up. Well, like m- more connected, right? And it was not only just like feeling the feelings of other people, but feeling connected to them as well. Yes, or, or more to the whole. So. And 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 so again, I, it was just another another pathway that I've started, f- you know, finding these changes in my own self and my personality, and started, and that's where you know ego starts reducing. And, and through this whole time, I mean, my, my wife and I are, are real close. We've been married over 20 years. We've been through all this together. And she stood by me when she should have left me. Um, but she's been there the whole time. So she's like an instrumental part in this, the growth of this journey. And it, it feels like she's finally like getting the real person who she deserved from the beginning. Uh, and was deprived of, like, through no fault of any of our own. Uh, but that's that comes further on in the story. Um, but, she, I mean, she's like, we do therapy together. Like, our our my talk therapy rather than with a therapist, who, because I've tried talk therapy with a therapist, I've talked to psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever, and it's always hard to, to, to have any kind of trusting relationship to really be able to tell somebody what you think or what you feel. And I found most of the time when I talked to those kind of people, I just told them what I thought they wanted to hear. Um, and most of the time it was, you know, the typical Western idea of, I just want to get to this psychiatrist so they'll give me the antidepressant so I won't be depressed anymore. And I don't really want to do the talk therapy. I just want the drug that's going to make me feel better, which of course it didn't. You know, those drugs, they make they have a lot of bad side effects, particularly for, you know, your sex drive, weight gain, all the kind of things that suicidal ideation. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that when you're suicidal, they give you an antidepressant that one of the, the the listed side effects is suicidal ideations. So, especially it also says don't mix with alcohol, but we seem to be good at that. <laughs> at least I was. So, uh, but I guess back to talk, you yeah, know, yeah, talking. Yeah, you, no, you've got you got your practice, you got your manual, you got your medicine, you got your spiritual battle buddy. So, right. And so, so that's where this this journey like really started taking off, and and so you know, deeper understanding, lessening the ego, and and through these practices, start to come to a deeper understanding of self. 
but there's like still, I finally got to the point right around just before Christmas, um, this year that I was like, I think, I don't, I think there's like, I'm broken or something, you know, where I was finding peace, I was finding stuff, but it was still that those samskaras, I was falling back into those, those pathways or the, you know, those cycles and being a victim to them. And that's, you know, I was seeing myself as, as a victim of my life. And that's really what, you know, when you're stuck in that victim mentality, all you see is victimhood and all you perpetuate is victimhood. And, you know, that's, that's why like the police stuff and, and even the PTSD stuff is such a small part of my story. And that's, I didn't see it then. You don't see it then when you're in it, but now with my awareness, my understanding, my seeing a lot, you know, more of the big picture, that that clarity, you know, I, it's like, how did I not see it? How did I not, like, see, you know, and, and I really want to say, like, my major, like, my major, like, awakening, whatever you want to call it, came after, and so during this time, I had also started introducing LSD, and the the third time that I did LSD, uh, it, it, the strange thing about LSD for me, my personal experience is that it it was like a different substance each time. And these are you know these are three gel tabs off the same strip from the same everything, and this it's all like it's legit. And so this is the same substance, but three different experiences are vastly different drugs and vastly different experiences. And I understand now it's because the medicine was giving me what, what I was nearly capable of understanding at the time. But with that, it took a lot of work. Um, but for, I mean, for me really like LSD was, was like the most, uh, I guess visceral would be the right word. Um, you know, and I, I've seen some of the stuff they say about, about the toad and, and that stuff. And I don't, I don't know cause I don't have that experience, but like LSD, it was very visceral and it was very real. Um, but the first, the first time I did LSD, you know, the first probably half was just a good time. I mean, I felt good. I, I you know, it, it was just, it was a nice time. I felt light, had, had a good laugh, a lot of good connection and an enjoyable time. And then like, I don't know, the four hour mark hit and it was like, it's time to do work. <laughs> and it got, and it got, I won't say dark, but, but, work. but challenging, you know, it's, it got challenging and, and, but that, that first time. So the, the best way I can describe it was like, I felt from the perspective of my own family, like my wife and children, the people I love, I experienced like the trauma of my own suicide. And I experienced like the emotional weight of that. And so it was like a total breakdown. I mean, total like emotional <laughs> breakdown, sobbing just for probably 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And it was like, now I get it. And so, I, I mean, I'll say that experience and that understanding really was a great tool in fighting suicidal ideations. I won't say it, like, completely solved it, 
but it gave me such a clear perspective. And then when I'm able to reevaluate through that lens and see more clearly, it, it, it can take me out of it. And so in, in some of these experiences and journeys, I'm, I'm receiving, I don't know, I guess you'd call them messages, some stuff that, that makes sense and stuff, some stuff that doesn't. Um, and really where I found was, was the integration practice where I was really able to decode that stuff. And some of it, I mean, it's like six months later. Six months later, I mean, I, today, I can't tell you. I mean, it's like daily realizations that my wife and I, like, we're, I mean, we're on our way out of Texas. We need to leave Texas for a multitude of reasons. But, like, so we're, we've sold our house, and, like, we've got a little tiny bit of downtime in between the stuff. And so we're spending these mornings, like, just talking and just experiencing stuff. And that's, you know, it's special. It's a special time. Um, now I got lost to where I was going with it before. Um, but, but having that connection oh, and the, 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 the being able to decode some of the things and, and just have continued reevaluation of a lot of experiences. But I would say like, so the, the last LSD experience about six months ago, like just before the New Year's, because I felt like I need something. And that's where I said I was at a place where I was like, I can't, I can't get it. Something's wrong. I think I'm, I'm broken because I feel like I have this, the PTSD stuff pretty well under control. And I still keep falling off. And so it's like, and, and every time it would be like back to the bottom, isolation, no alcohol. I never, I haven't relapsed on alcohol one time, but isolation and darkness. And it would just go to like, because you're so used to dealing in those like such negative spaces and you're, you're used to being there, it's easy to go back. And so, and that's the common experience I found with a lot of veterans that I've talked to people, you know, and that's, what's cool about like the veteran community is they're so open. There's so many people that are so open about their stuff. And it gives, it gives you hope when you're like, okay, that guy was doing good a while ago, but he's doing pretty bad now. Like, but then he's doing good. I mean, you see, you see other people's cycles, but you're able to help each other through it again. And that was that community aspect, that community aspect that's missing from so much. Wow. So, so you're able to get these, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, cosmic downloads, right? Yeah. And uh, keep them in your source drive, and then they naturally flow it down to you as you know in, in future uh, connections, and then you're able to process them, integrate them into your life, and and enjoy the simplest things available. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really what it is. It's that you know all the all the cliche stuff, you know, the living in the moment and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's true. Um, and especially that I'm not such a hard person anymore. I can stop and appreciate it. But the, like my biggest breakthrough, I would say, as far as decoding this whole thing was when I finally came to the realization. And this again was aided by LSD and some of that, some of that stuff that I, that I downloaded, but didn't understand was able to be decoded and really reaching 
back further when I had the realization that when I had my breakdown and like really got suicidal and, and ended up leaving, that's when I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. I just, I'm not, I'm not sure of the best way. Let's come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, well, you know, you're on this path now where you have the tools that you didn't have before and the support system and the motivation, the enthusiasm, the, life force and yeah so so where i was going was the 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 realization was that when i was broken when i finally like thought i was broken um it's i was supervising a, a criminal investigations unit so a unit of detectives that specialize in persons crimes and so there was a lot of child abuse stuff there was a lot of you know uh exposure to stuff and it's it's a different it's different than for like patrol officers because you get to see the full story. You get to see these like the whole backstory, the families and all that stuff. And I finally came to the to the realization. My big breakthrough was that like that break as a police officer and thinking that my nervous breakdown was the PTSD. It was really response to stuff that was way further back in my own past that through through the busyness of life. Through, because I knew something was broken in me back when I was a teenager. But when I, you know, when I, you get into the adult life and you get married and have kids and a job and you get busy and all of it. And that, that was something that was messed up in me and it finally broke through that. And so seeing that and understanding how being a victim of abuse as a child really fucks you up. And it's like, now I get it. But with that realization and the full weight of that came the realization of how I treat my own kids. And so, like, the most instrumental thing in this all was, like, those conversations that I had with my children. I had to sit my kids down and, like, apologize. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I... I would spank my kids and I always used the excuse that like, oh, well, you know, I got my ass beat when I was a kid and I turned out fine. I mean, I can't tell you many times I've heard that. And now, <laughs> you know, with, with my understanding of so much more and gaining, you know, the reduction of ego, but the reduction of ego is what, what allowed me to admit my own abusive tendencies. But the amazing thing is, like, the timing of this and the age of my own children, like, I can still make a difference. Like, I can still have a positive impact on my kids, and they cannot repeat this, this process, this brokenness, this darkness that gets passed from generation to generation, this anger, this violence. Uh, and it's all too common. And so now I'm like... Now it's again, you don't know until you know. And now I see it. Like I see such a bigger picture of like why, where my stuff comes from. And that's and so it's I mean, really my message is like it takes work. This has been like and but now like the relationship with, with my family and my kids, I mean that's it's it's night and day. 
And it was like that day that I had the realization and all that happened. And I like confronted it, like you said, shadow work. You know, they talk about shadow work, but it is really confronting that stuff. And so now it's been, the last six months have been just processing it and really digging deep and understanding me and understanding what's damaged and understanding where it comes from. Um, now it's the realization that it's not like, you don't get better, you don't get rid of it because it doesn't go away, but it's that, that reprogramming like those samskaras, those, those, those deep imprints, like the more you reprogram your own everything. And, you know, and there's a lot of science behind all this sure, too. It's not sure. just, you know, what people say, woo-woo stuff. And, yeah. and for me, th what's so remarkable is that I'm not that guy. Like, I don't believe in this stuff. I don't believe in this stuff, but I'm living it. And that's what was like when I finally had the realization of what was going on, especially the connection to yoga and it's it's just like you can't make this shit up and i'm and i don't believe in it but here i am and i can say i mean you know it was funny when i started when things started really like coming from all directions and i was like making a lot of discoveries i'm trying to like write this stuff down like i need to write this down you know i see myself i'm like that guy what's <laughs> the guy with like the map and the points on the map and all these strings connecting the characters Some red yarn yeah. tying everything all together <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, like, people think I'm crazy anyway. They see, you know, if I'm trying to explain it like a crazy person, they're really going to think I'm crazy. So, you know, it's 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 just kind of it is what it is. The only proof I need is the proof that's that's at home with the people I love, my relationship with them, just the difference with all that. Um, but it's been work, like you know, and that's. I see stuff online like YouTube videos and people say like this, you know, this one thing because, you know, psychedelics are having a huge resurgence and there's popularity, but it's also like you, you have to be ready to do the work. And if you're not, you're going to end up in a bad place. Like if I didn't have the tools that I had to decode a lot of this stuff and gain the understanding, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just work. It's being willing to do the work. And I don't think there's any one ingredient in this that it would come out the same if I was missing any of it. So, you know, and of course, every, in, every journey is the individuals. <laughs> and it's, it's just, there's, the, I feel like there's a lot of pathways. There's a lot of pathways to peace. And, you know, it's just a matter of finding your own, but there's, I mean, there, there's a lot of hope and that's, you know, so that's where I'm at now. I'm ready. I'm still, I'm just finishing up that, that yoga teacher training program. And so I've had a lot of inspiration with that. Um, and we're going on the road. To, yeah. Um, where, where are you going to move to? We don't know. We don't know. Where are you going to head to? We're going to, we're hitting Colorado first. Um, do, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park and kind of explore around. And hit all the dispensaries, we know. And then, yeah. And then from, I think we'll drift around Colorado a little bit. And then it's it's really like no no reservations, like no plans, no itinerary. Um, we're going to try to do Disneyland if it's if it's possible. So we might Disneyland. have to suffer Los Angeles. How, on how, How's this? Well, let's make up a fictitious state. We don't even have to give it a cannabis-themed name or medicine, but... If you're leaving this state to go explore others, right? We're supposed to have this these laboratories of democracy. Kind of like what would be your, you know, either your criteria for going to a state or maybe your utopia vision dream. I mean, you know. 
one, certainly a requirement, like a, a, a definite requirement, is a state that has a legitimate medical marijuana program and that you can home cultivate with. Okay, does that mean that it has to, uh, if it has a list of conditions, does that satisfy, or do you want to be able to have full discretion with your doctor? I'd, I'd like to have full discretion. Okay, so then you said uh, right, right to grow? Yes, absolutely. How many plants? Oh, ideally? Yeah, almost. really. Six in flower. Okay. I like. I think is that Colorado is six in flower. I know in Colorado they'd recently reduced it actually from the original numbers, but uh, okay. So right to grow as uh, and you have to be, if it's a medical or uh, recreational, is that any different for you? Like I know that you can get you know, more plants if you're medical. Are you I, if you go to another state, are you going looking to be a medical patient or just go rec? Medical patient. Yeah, yeah that, absolutely. That's the medical way to get the good, the good medicine. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's. Right to grow, I think, is a big thing. The the I'm a gardener. I've grown my own tomatoes for I don't know twenty years. I love planting tomatoes every summer. I like growing peppers. Oh. And so the garden, is, so the gardening kept you alive. I and see. so I mean, and yeah, like gardening. Gardening's a huge thing. People, there's a lot of peaceful, really cool gardeners. And well, you know, so like, yeah, how do we explain this to people? Like gardening and getting to grow the plants specifically as well can be like a really therapeutic thing. You know, people have cats and dogs and they take care of them, but. Plants are things you can take care of and work with too. Well, and also like that that connection with the earth, and you know that's like a yoga thing. And sure. but but that grounding, that connection, getting out there, getting your hands dirty, and but it also teaches patience. You see the life cycle of a plant. You know, you see that cycle, but you can you know you make something positive with it. It's rewarding. You get to the end, and it's it's not just an activity that you did, a hobby. It's a hobby with a reward. And so with cannabis, if you if if you're able to grow your own medicine, you you have your hobby, which is therapeutic and aids with your medical condition, and you also have your medicine. And homegrown medicine is always better. And so, you know, something that has uh, intention behind it, not something illegally imported from another state, you know, through unknown criminal means, you know. I mean, what's happening with any rejected cannabis from California when it comes positive for, for pesticides or mold Black or whatever? Market. And I mean, it's coming to Texas, exactly. And it's, I mean, it's from any of these states that, especially if they're testing, that's that's what a lot of people are getting. And they, you know, they're not going to, it's going somewhere. And, and that's, you know, that's just common sense and somebody's going to profit from it. But then the cartels of the way they profit from Texas. I mean, look, look at this place, <laughs> you know, Texas is a huge market. And I mean, we're not even talking about other illegal substances. We're just talking about cannabis. And so, so if you go to another state, you'd have medical, you'd have a right to grow. Uh, what other and ability to have full discretion with your doctor to you know agree upon what you want to do and get to get a prescription, and uh, what else? What what around other medicines or other things with cannabis would? Quite honestly, I don't. I'm not worried about government approval of of <laughs> of, of other medicines. Um, I think, you know, but I mean, obviously, in in Oakland, they everything we hear, like you know, I say in like the 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 cannabis community and like, and you know, people that talk about this kind of stuff that I talk to there, you know, they're t that's all you heard was like Oakland decriminalized, they decriminalized. So you think it's like this, like natural medicine paradise, but not exactly. But then I, you know, I, I listened to your <laughs> podcast and it's like, wait a second, there's, there's not only somebody with, with psilocybin mushrooms getting 
rated, but a church. And, and, and so that's, that's interesting. You know, it's the difference between what you hear in the news or what people talk about and the reality of it, much like, you know, much like this, you hear it all this stuff. Oh, they decriminalized in Austin and all this just because the, the Austin City Council said they were going to deprioritize. Yeah. De- yeah. Decrims can be a word that uh, can be used lots of different ways. But you have in Oregon where they've said all drugs, you know, personal use are uh, decriminalized, not even just, you know, natural medicine. So uh, is that is that important to you? Like, you know, for, for a, a state to have that. And I know California just... Uh, introduced a bill that I guess they're going to consider next session for legalizing all these medicines statewide. I think, I think it's the right direction. Yeah. Like with Oregon. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. We need to stop wasting resources on, on jailing people and, and, and the drug wars failed. It's been failed, but there's still people, there's still adherents. There's still true believers. Yeah, what, mean, yeah. What, what keeps the, what keeps the momentum going in the drug war? Asset forfeiture. Okay. It's a big business. How's this? Instead of us just like trying to dig into that because it's such a massive topic, what, what, uh, how would you like to see that changed, improved, I mean, modified? I, you know, to, to be reasonable and balanced on it, I can see a, 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 how it might be beneficial in certain circumstances to have it, but the irresponsible use of it. And so, it's, sounds like drugs. And it's even, it's even, <laughs> but it's even used in a punitive matter to yeah. like where even like, like, let's say you had somebody in a, in a law enforcement agency, because like in Texas, Texas, I mean, there's a code of criminal procedure. It's in there. It's in the, it's in there, the penal code, but it's been a minute since I've read them, but it allows for, I mean, any felony drug case is going to, is going to qualify for asset forfeiture. So basically, if they want to paint you as a drug dealer, you know, it's like, oh, well, he had a scale and he had some bags and he had drugs. So he's a drug dealer and he had some cash. And so it's, it's, it's real easy to, to paint things in a certain light. So It's okay to take his stuff now. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, and so they'll, they'll take cars and, you know, it's like run the title. Do they own it? They own it? Take it. What about the Harley? Take it. What about the ninja? Take it. Like, what about all these, uh, this, this sound equipment or these speakers or whatever things of value. And then even the property, if somebody owns a property, like what's, you know, is there, is there some equity in it? Is it worth seizing? And then, you know, it goes to these hearings, these hearings that decide the disposition of the property. Um, you know, and most of the time it just goes back to people. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and that's in a lot of the cases that, that I've like personally seen and experienced, it just goes back to people and it kind of gets tied up. So it's almost like, you know, it's a lot like when they say we're going to decriminalize, uh, decriminalize cannabis, let's say they, or they make it a class C misdemeanor. Well, class C misdemeanor in Texas is still a arrestable offense. You can be arrested for any class C misdemeanor except speeding and open container. Those are the two the the two laws you can't be arrested for. Like you have to be offered a, a promise to appear, like a ticket. If you refuse to sign the ticket, you have to go before a judge, which means you get arrested. But like you can be arrested in Texas for not using your turn signal. You can be arrested in Texas for having a brake light out. I mean, and it happens to people. So if you say cannabis is a class C misdemeanor, but you have some old school true believer in some small town in Texas, 
you better believe they're going to take people to jail. They're going to tow their cars. They're going to do all the, the hard things that they can do to you. And that's going to continue with, with any criminalization of cannabis, um, particularly in Texas. The unfortunate thing is Texas is going to drag their feet so long on this. And then once big business gets involved, all of a sudden it's going to be okay. You know, once they've written yeah. out all the small independent growers and any, you know, anything that would support real business here, not just corporations. Well, we know our current president was the architect, a uh, big architect of the drug, you know, sentencing and the three strikes are out and the disparities with crack cocaine and uh, powder cocaine. What's the reality here in Texas with cannabis flower and then this kind of over felonization of the process where anything that's concentrate is, is a felony? Anything that's not flour is a felony. Yeah, exactly. Anything. What I say. I mean, even actually. even the the keef in the bottom of your grinder. Like, if you have a grinder that has a little the little yes. uh, screen. If you press two tri trichomes together, yeah. you just made hash, and you're a felon. And and you know, and it's like you hear the the high school kid. Where was that? Cedar Park. I want to say uh, it was around, in Williamson yeah. County. Round Rock. Okay. Counties. Felon. And it was oh. like a second degree felony because it was the aggregate weight of some cannabis brownies and. It, you know, it was probably made by kids. They probably didn't decarboxylate the flour and they weren't going to get high anyway. But I mean, it's, it just shows you the absurdity of the law that somebody can have, they can take cannabis flour and have that same amount and it be a, in Texas, it would be a class, you know, under two ounces would be a class B misdemeanor that's punished by up to six months in jail. You know, usually people don't go to jail for a class B misdemeanor amount of cannabis, but there's lots of exceptions. Um, but, you know, generally in the Austin area, that's that's not going to be a thing. But as soon as you take that same cannabis and put it in some brownies, it's a felony. And it's the aggregate weight. So it's the total weight. So this kid yeah. had these felonies. Don't you forget know. the time you're serving for the eggs, the so, chocolate chips. Yeah. <laughs> the butter and, and, and sugar. Yeah. And it's, so it's all these ingredients. And like that kid... You know, kid, I say kid, he was, he, I think he was an adult. Like he was yeah. in Texas, 17 is a, an adult criminally. Uh, but he was looking at a second degree felony, which is up to 20 years in prison. Which is worse than raping somebody or probably some. No, I, th well, I think it was even more. I well, that brings I up. I think it was up to, it was crazy, like 60 by the time <laughs> they were done with it. If yeah. I remember, right. And so like that, and that brings up, you say, it's not like it's rape. It's like, there's so much focus on a lot of these you know, the things that we're talking about by law enforcement, but, you know, it's been in the news all over the place. Austin had a, like a, a real big thing in the news about the, the mishandling of rape kits in, in sexual assault cases and all these rape kits. I mean, it wasn't even like, like there was mishandling. I know there was a lot of issues with the crime lab that, that were, that they talked about in the media, but like there were t test kits not even getting tested. You have victims waiting, and these are real human beings, you know, but yes. they're willing to shoot the, you know, uh, a, a little stamp baggie that's got a white residue in it. They're willing to send that to the crime lab to test for cocaine because cocaine residue, just that, you know, a, a, an amount, any an amount under, uh, under a gram is going to be a state jail felony. But you can't test so a, a rape kit. Rape's not a big money maker for them. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, exactly. And so once that stuff came to light, but I mean, it's it's still it's it's almost like you know maybe cannabis will get a little traction 
you know, with, with a lot of the social justice issues that are, that are being raised right now. But like you said, with our president, I mean, he's, I don't think he's, he's open to, to changing federal law. Well, what, what do you think needs to uh, change here in Texas? If the cops are incentivized to pull people over with cannabis, especially concentrates turning into felony where they can do asset forfeiture and seize their car and seize other money. How do you, uh, you know, how do we fix that? One thing would be to stop, stop letting them keep the money. Uh, if, if, you know, I think a reasonable solution would be if, if asset forfeiture did continue and, and, I mean, maybe possibly in some kind of responsible manner, because I can see s- certainly circumstances where it would be necessary or beneficial, you know, to, to like legitimate proceeds of, of cartels and stuff like that. I mean, multi-million dollar homes sure. and stuff. Yeah, and, if, and, if it's going to the police force, but, right, it creates this incentive where they're going to keep doing it as long as they can because well, it's so going to help fund them. It's usually like a deal from from my experience and what I've known is usually it's like the DA takes half. Like so the district attorney's <laughs> office or the county takes half. They split that with the department. And then those funds, because they're not it's, – it's kind of like it's drug seizure funds. So drug seizure funds, they can buy like like stuff with it, like gear. So, I mean, I understand if you have a, a – a budget that's short and you want military equipment or whatever kind of stuff that's, they use that, that for a lot or somebody crashes a car and it's unexpected drug seizure funds. I'm just trying to understand the incentives here. So the DA has a perverse incentive because if they have a six, they're supposed to be representing the interests of the state or the County or whatever the citizens, if they making money from asset forfeiture, they have an incentive to go harder on the defendants because that's going to affect their budget just the same reason as the cops so that that puts the cops and the da on the same side of the incentive algorithm i'd say you put that rather articulately and i and, you know i can't say if it's who gets the money at the county is it the da or is it the county or like no, no it's who, like it's like, pro- it's, like it's, no probation so if they yeah. put someone on probation the proba- pro person who's on probation pays the you know county and excuse pays the state and then some of that money goes to the county so it's like you get to be taxed by that county <laughs> for part of that money it's all statutory yeah. for a certain amount of time so you well know, then in a, in it's a, like having someone live in your resident in your county part-time and pay county taxes without living there it's literally taxation yeah. without co you know without location or co-location well and so the drug seizure stuff it gets even more interesting when you start with these task forces and that's like a popular thing is these task forces um joining up with dea and so again it's it's arrangements of how the money is going to get split up on on seizures and stuff so you know they'll 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 want to raid a, a, do a, a drug house or something when they know there's a lot of cash there. And, and um, it's funny cause there's usually not a lot of concern for how much drugs are there. Um, but there is a, about how much cash is there. Um, but even with the DEA, so there's federal resources going towards criminal cases in Texas, you know, where the DEA is working with local agencies and they have the way they cut these, these deals up. But, Typically, I mean, there's agencies in this area that that basically lend officers to DEA task forces, and then they go work with the task force. 
Um, and again, they just cut the stuff up. Like they, 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 they split the money up. So the federal government's benefiting in those instances. I don't know where the money goes, what happens to it, how it's accounted for, but the money gets divided up. So a big part of this is money. So they're at least these agencies are okay. When people talk about like defund the police, we know that's ridiculous. But if we say defund asset forfeiture, that actually sounds like a reasonable that you would get that incentive out of the system. Would cops, whether they're true believers or not, you know, would there still be an incentive if it was going to schools or well, hospitals or what? You know, I mean, your average roads? your average cop doesn't know anything about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is like narcotics unit investigative stuff like this is like your average cop doesn't know much about asset forfeiture it's like a it's like a required class in the police academy something they teach you you know and then you forget immediately it's more of a a higher level investigative tool i guess you'd say in finger quotes higher level but i mean it's it's used a lot it's used a lot and it's really easy i mean if you think of it i mean if you read the statute it's it's like a felony so what about a felony DWI? Sure. Well, this, okay. So the Supreme Court Justice uh, Gorish recently said that almost every citizen in the United States has probably committed a felony at some time in their lives. So yeah. with this over-felonization through the laws, yeah, why are we risking people, you know what I'm saying, having their lives ruined uh, for, 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 yeah, for money to keep the same departments going? Yeah. And I mean, I'd have to look closer. I don't... I don't know that state jail felonies qualify for asset forfeiture. I'd have to look to, to say for sure. But, you know, any any cannabis that's not flour is is yeah. going to be a minimum of a state jail felony. So, like, those vape pens, and that's another thing, like all these Delta 8 cartridges that are floating around that people say get you high, I don't know. I've not tried it because I, I, I'm kind of, like, sketched about what might be in them. <laughs> um, I, I tried it. They get you high. Well, and so that's the thing is like, what's really in them? Like, I'd like to see a, a true lab report sure. from like somebody reputable because again, and this is, this is the, the result of an illegal market. You have a black market where people just want, they want to alter their state of consciousness for whatever reason it is, whether it's a medical reason or because they're an adult and they can do that responsibly. And now they're, they're turning to unsafe means. Like, and that was the whole, the vaping crisis with the stuff. I mean, they found it was limited to the certain number of all black market stuff. Yeah. If you have stuff that's, that's going through legitimate dispensaries from trusted sources, you know, it's, it's a different story. So if you're, let's say the mayor or some level where you would have police working for you and you could change that asset forfeiture law because you're gonna have to be the same person explaining these people like you said it's more than the narcotics or you know drug enforcement divisions but yeah what would what would you wh where would you send that money to and what would you tell them you know um, i think a reasonable thing would be to send it to like a general fund okay. of say the city or say the county or you know and and it's not <laughs> like i mean i'm, I'm not gonna pretend that i that I have like a lot of faith in any level of sure, government. Sure, sure, sure. At least it would be an alignment, right? In other words, the state is the one prosecuting these cases. Going into a general fund is fine too. Because that's what you're saying. We're, you know, public safety is the reason we're going after these people. For yeah, I mean, removing the direct profitability of it. So where it's 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 like 
a direct benefit to that department and a direct benefit to certain people. And I mean, that could even be down to individual officers. Let's say you're working in a narcotics unit and you're making a lot of seizures uh, and a lot of money's coming in and, and all of a sudden you always have a lot of nice trucks to drive with a lot of nice equipment that you get and a lot of nice like night vision and all, you know, all like military type stuff, but like cool toys is be basically what it comes down to. And if your budget sucks because it's mismanaged or whatever, you know, and, and you, you know, you can blame whoever you want when budgets don't work. But I mean, when I, yeah. okay, I'll give you an example of, of why, like if, some police officers are listening and why they might not understand. Like I was driving in round rock a few weeks ago and traffic was all snarled up. It was a big mess. And we got up to this intersection and there, there had been a crash that was cleared, but like, I don't know what they were sitting there for, like crash investigation or whatever, but there was four round rock police cars four, and there was, two on each side of the road and this was on Chandler road, which at that point is, is our university. It's a one lane road in each direction. Like, so this is like no passing, no nothing. And these guys are like parked up by the intersection and there's four cops and I've worked a lot of crashes. So I know how this stuff works, but there's four guys and they're not directing traffic and traffic's just snarled and it's a total mess. And they're just standing there talking and there's not a supervisor. And I can say as a, as a former supervisor, I would find that to be unacceptable, <laughs> but like, this is what people see. And that's just a minor example of like the wastefulness in government. You could go to any city department in any city in this country and see the wastefulness of government. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, they, they, they say defund the police, which of course I think, I, I, I think the reality of that is ridiculous. Um, you know, my wife had an incident Cause you hear stuff like downtown, Oh, the, the, the homeless problem has gotten really bad or whatever, you know, whatever term you want to use. But like my wife takes our daughter downtown for her birthday <laughs> and to stay in a hotel and have like a nice girls weekend. And like the first thing they see is like a half naked man going down the middle of second street in Austin. Now, like I've been in Austin, only happened on sixth street. Like I've been in Austin for 15 years. Like, Second Street's always been really nice. Like when they really cleaned up that area down there and it like they built those high rises and like that was like a really nice area. Now there's not a cop to be seen. And there's a homeless man screaming at people like being like legitimately scary, like somebody that needs help. So like you say defund the police and I don't think the police are the right person to deal with that. So that's like defund the police, like take that responsibility away from them. But that doesn't, I mean, that might, guy might get dangerous. Sure. So let's say that we can take the drug war part of it out of there, right? And so to, with the asset forfeiture, so they're not going after to create drug defendants and to get those monies. You then, okay, less money for the budgets, but then you could have smaller forces and they could focus on obviously other things we want to care about, you know, violent crime and, well, and like, look, rape kits and stuff like that. So how, you know, how much smaller could a force be if you take out the drug war? Well, you hear police officers say constantly, because I've heard it, I've, I'm sure I've said it, we're not social workers, we're not social workers, we're not social workers, but police officers are social workers. They're like the epitome of social workers. They're there to solve people's problems. When you call 911 and need help, or when you, when you pick up the phone, you need help, the police come, regardless of what that is. Like, and there's the reality of that. 
So how do we uh, go from uh, how do we go from there? I don't know where where where. <laughs> I think I got lost in the weeds again. No, that's good. This is super deep, man. This like, is let's really good. say you. Uh, you know, people find out Walmart is selling some clothing that's been made with slave labor, sweatshops or they something. They wouldn't do that. Um, you you boycott Walmart and um, they take it off the shelves and apologize and things happen rather quickly. But when things are are funded via taxation or asset forfeiture... Um, you don't have a lot of uh, responsibility to your your customer, or your clientele at that at that point. Well, it's current policing in America is like it's it's actually in like direct violation of the principles of policing. Like if if you look if if Sir Robert Peel, the father father of modern policing, like the father of the English Bobbies, came up with the municipal police force in London, like the first organized police force and all this stuff, and like. That was the principle is like the, the, the police are of the people. But if you see police now just resent the people and police now just abuse and, the people. And the people re- resent the police. And so, so the connection's been lost where the police aren't of the community. And this is, this is evident in like this thin blue line stuff. And like I was always sensitive to that. Again, because I, I said I never, I never really associated my whole identity as being a police officer. So I always thought like the thin blue line, I'm like, gosh, that awfully, that like sounds like, like they say the thin blue line of silence. It's kind of like people don't get that. Um, so I, w- I was always sensitive to that. So I got it, but they just, sometimes I just don't get it. I don't know where I was going. Oh, um, the, oh to go back to, to the, uh, the asset forfeiture, the defund, the police, all yeah, that just stuff. Just bu- like, budgeting, like how, how do these, you know, what should the police, here's a question, what should the police forces be doing in the future if we know we're going to have self-driving cars, right, so you won't be able to pull people over for DUI, cannabis will be medical or recreational, so you won't be able to pull people over for the smell of weed and then find other stuff in their car or see if they have warrants out for their arrest or whatever. So when that kind of goes away, what's maybe what's more the future of policing, right? Because, well, yeah. Well, to to go back to what like what happens to that budget if you do reduce yeah. reduce police forces and and take responsibilities away, I go back to like remember the 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 shootings in Dallas and all that stuff, and the police officer said like you all put put too much on us. It's too much. It's too much. And so you hear that coming from both sides. Y'all are doing too much, and then the the police are saying we're doing too much. This isn't our job. Like it's too much. So, but who's working for CPS? Like, who's got anything good to say about child protective services in Texas? Like, they, they've missed a lot of stuff. And, I mean, that's, they admit that themselves, that there's a lot of failures there. So, like, why don't we invest some money into our kids? Like, we were talking about child abuse and the effect on children, like, long term. And you talk about, like, it is a miracle that I'm not in prison or a junkie in the street somewhere. Like, with, with my history and my stuff, I don't know how I made it. <laughs> like through like as dysfunctional as I realize I was now and <laughs> my wife and I were talking and I'll, I'll get back to the the budget thing but <laughs> but but it's like my wife and I were talking and we this is actually a, like a, a realization this morning it was like we were always the stable ones like among our like 
group of associates and people that we would hang out with and stuff. Like we were the stable ones. We're the ones married 20 years. Like this other stuff, like there's all kinds of craziness going on. And I'm like, I don't know how they deal with that. And so it's like, if I'm this fucked up and we're the stable ones, I don't know how people manage. But back to the the budgetary stuff, like reallocating those budgets, like the, the amount of turnover in CPS, like once you see inside and once you start talking to investigators and higher level people, because I was in that position to talk to them, you see like the amount of turnover is like, it's insane. And I will say like Travis County kicks ass with with child abuse cases and with child stuff. Working with the people at the, the Child Advocacy Center in Austin, like nothing but respect. Like those people are badass. Like you talk about heroes, it's them. Like dealing with the worst of the worst with a smile every day, with under under budget. And that's where we get to it is like these, these investigators with, with CPS and these social workers who you know, it's weird. You can be a cop and have a high school diploma, and within a couple of years, you're making $100,000 a year and pulling all kinds of overtime and stuff. Yet we take these people with psychology degrees, with master's degrees, with PhDs that we require that they have to be social workers, and we want to pay them, like, less than teachers make, and teachers don't make anything. It's like, give teachers some money. They influence these kids. Give these social workers some money so they can get in front of these problems, like the guy in the street who's scaring the shit out of everybody, they can get to that guy before he gets that bad. Because you see, obviously, he's, he's probably schizophrenic, and he's having an episode. But, like, where we're at right now in Austin, and, like, my wife was there. There was no police anywhere, and there's this guy running around in the street. Like, people don't want to live in Austin like that. People don't want to live anywhere like that. So I think really you're saying overall this is like a mental health issue. If we're putting people in jail, right, because they have mental health issues or, or, or arresting them in the drug war or people that are homeless, it's going back to unresolved childhood trauma because you're saying the cops are out there on the front line saying, hey, this is too hard for us because this isn't our job to be social workers, but the people don't want to get a PhD and not get paid to be a social worker and you have all this first responder turnover. So how do we fix all this stuff if we don't fix, you know, childhood stuff. And I mean, I want to tie it back to like what you're saying is in your own story, you've broken that pattern, right? You've realized that you've broken that pattern and have a chance, you know, to have a clean pathway for your kids, right? But how do we do that in, at a societal level when we have so much childhood trauma? It seems to be just manifesting when we're adults. And then there's a lot of yeah. uh, cleanup, I, that, you know, so we, we put people in jail. That doesn't fix it, but... I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, the reason I share my story and the reason that the reason I even got into like cannabis activism and started like coming around Texas normal and telling my story there, because I mean, that's that's not a normal thing for for a former police officer to come to a normal meeting and tell you who they are like I'm, yeah, that, that, I was that, there I but it was important <laughs> like it was important for me to come in there the very first time I came to a meeting I wanted to meet because I knew what normal was and I knew what they did beforehand and like you know I feel this obligation I've I've personally have deprived a lot of a lot of people of their freedoms over cannabis over a plant and like now because at the time I couldn't see it now I'm like I feel an overwhelming obligation to share my story. And at the time I understood it so little. So it was like, 
what can I do like with my with my experience with my viewpoint now I'm at the point where like I see it's a lot bigger picture for me personally to where I don't really I'm not so tied to the to just the police officer part of it my thing is sharing my story especially with mental health struggles and with my journey like I'm not out I don't tell anybody like I don't recommend anybody do what I've done like I mean everybody has to find their own journey but you need to do it your own way, I guess. There's a lot of people in, in, in this culture, in this society, looking for the easy button, for the button. Like, how do I push it? Let me push the button. It's like, like I said, you go to the psychiatrist and you say, oh, I feel like I'm probably depressed and this and that. And you tell them enough that they'll give you the drug that you want to fix you. But it doesn't. And so, that you know, that's, that's what it was. But uh, we're back. Sharing, but sharing my story—that's what I said—is like it normalizes a lot of this stuff, and that's what I found. Like with a lot of a lot of people that I've been around and been influential for, is like you know that that positivity, that story, that sharing. It you know it opens people up, and I found like the more I share, and especially with people like if I feel if I feel led to, I will you can't believe what other people share. And it's, again, it's this like community thing. It's like sharing and suffering, sharing and like collective suffering over like common traumas and understanding that stuff, but also sharing in the positive stuff. And so people can see, like I, I said before, I don't, like all my shit is still there and I acknowledge it and I understand it, but now I see it coming. And when that cycle comes around again, I can cut it off. You know, today, we went to the zoo. I took the kids to the zoo. I would say a year ago, that probably wouldn't have happened. Because, I, you know, and that it's because it's, I would never want to leave the house. But, like, I went to the zoo today with my kids. No stress, no nothing. Everything was cool. Like, that wasn't possible before. So I can, I mean, I share that with people and they see, like, okay, you know, let me get out of the room. Let me, you know, and there's a lot of avenues. I don't, I'm not saying, like, this is the one way. You, here's the way you can find or heal yourself or anything. But I, I do, I will say, you can heal yourself. You can, and it's really the key for me, is just better understanding me and what is me. So uh, how long did you live in Texas total? How long have you lived in Texas? 15 years. So uh, what what are you, uh, messages or recommendations do you have for the us Texans that have been here a while and are still fighting the good fight? Hang, uh, hang in there. I guess you, you, you might want to be patient. <laughs> I just, you know, I try, I try to look at it realistically. And, you know, that's, of course, is a, is, is a, a big part of us leaving is, is the reality of if, if you have – any kind of concentrates, let's say you're a person that uses concentrates for, for cannabis, you're committing a felony. Like if you're in possession of concentrates and that's even those cartridges, cartridge is, is, is a felony, you know, any, any of it. And cool. so you're risking getting drug into that system of asset forfeiture of, you know, and just, and for some, some people, depending on your economic status, and that's really a huge part of this is, you know, like I said, a Class C misdemeanor, if somebody who doesn't have the money to pay a ticket gets a ticket 
for something they shouldn't get a ticket for because it shouldn't be a law. And, you know, you think, oh, it's just a classy misdemeanor. Well, that person gets a warrant. And so now they have a, a, a classy misdemeanor warrant. But at some point, they, they can get arrested for that. And when they get arrested and they, they go to jail and have to see the judge, their car gets towed. And, you know, from my own experience, I think people, it, people are more worried about getting their car towed than they are about going to jail. A lot of people. Because getting your car towed, especially if you're going to stay in jail for a few days, what happens every day you're in jail and the car lot, like, again, so here's like, here's like a built-in profit from, from arresting people coming in that. And, you know, a lot of cities, like larger cities will have their own record services. So they're running the records and getting the record fees for the people that they arrest. So the cops, the DA, the records, everybody. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Blackwater. Unholy a lot. Zool. <laughs> Zool. <laughs> No, but this is like how these systems work. The ecosystems get built right around the flow of money. And it's to me, it's just like a video game or it is like the military where, right, you're going to get the most points by going after people that have cannabis because it's so easy it's to easy. rack up the charge levels and the fines and the power to tell people, yeah, you're going to go to jail for 10 years, uh, which I said would be just as bad as if you'd... Uh, you know, sexual assault on somebody. That's the kind of threats yeah. they're able to use with the drug war. Yeah. Go to a place where you could possibly be sexually assaulted <laughs> yourself. Exactly. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> we know the future is going to get uh, much better than that. And it's not because Elon Musk's self-driving electric cars, robots will get busted in our stead. But did you, to, to kind of change the subject, yeah. did you see the, those satellite things that they launched that what is that like it's like some kind of satellite internet things that Elon oh space Musk link and, yeah. space link have yeah. you seen those things as they come over oh, it looks like big, a right? crazy ufo stuff oh, we yeah. were driving one night oh, yeah. <laughs> in dark country road and those things came over and i thought i was like here it is yeah <laughs> those things look so crazy <laughs> Well, that's so that Elon Musk can blanket the whole planet in Wi-Fi yeah. and then start the Matrix sub-reality. <laughs> Surveillance, yes. Yeah, and then you're microdosing mushrooms, so you see the SpaceX and you want to get on the Mars mission. It's a straight line. All right, so yeah, we're, uh, what's, uh, what's the future for you? What do you want to see the future look like? What uh, Going on the road, we're going to go on the road and just kind of explore around, um, try to find our place, try to find our people. Uh, I don't really know. We're, we're kind of like a blank canvas at this point. We've, I, f I feel like this is the closing chapter of, of that book, and it's a new book. So, I mean, this is, I guess I suppose that this is like the first chapter of the new book is that we're entering into. So it's kind of. It's interesting. We're excited. Beautiful. Would you ever consider returning to Texas? I'm tired of the summers. <laughs> I didn't say full time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. You guys have legal concentrate before I even think about it. There you go. Yeah, just tell us what the rider looks like before you come back in the state. I'll be happy now to visit. Visiting Texas is fine. We like it here. We have we have friends here. It's it's CPS is what I'm hearing. Though, but, really, it's like, I mean, it's like it's the reality of if you live here, that's the one way they can really enter your life, right? Well, that, I mean, but that brings up the question, like, if... I mean, is there not 
a, 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 an amount of reasonable doubt, especially if somebody says, well, I often travel to Colorado and partake in legal sure, cannabis sure. in a state where it's a, I'm, I'm a responsible adult partaking but, legally, but, and then I come back to Texas. But that could still make you a bad uh, yeah. parent here in Texas. I mean, that's unless that's you, you unless you're unless you're maybe a veteran or someone else who's gotten a prescription for Marinol, which is synthetic THC at Schedule Three, and you're allowed to have THC in your system 24 hours a day. It's just unfortunate that people yeah. would have to jump through all those hoops, yeah. and you know, it's, it's, it's even like teacup because. A lot of people have the misconception that Texas has a medical marijuana program. And there's that's like <laughs> there can be nothing further from the truth. I mean, anybody in Texas knows that. But I mean, just the restrictive qualifying conditions. And again, like you said, what's why is it the government's business to know what somebody's qualifying condition is? Somebody may be like me and and be willing to share their story. Some people don't want anybody to know why they're using medical cannabis, you know, and it's, I mean, it's, it's really not the government's business. It's, it's, it's between a doctor and a patient. And, and that's the problem with qualifying conditions is that you have this list and you have people that get excluded. I mean, you know, in Texas, most recently it's PTSD. They're talking about adding, but at first it was like PTSD for veterans (laughs) only. So if you were a veteran and got PTSD, but if you were a sexual assault victim that survived, you're a a survivor of sexual assault, you can't use cannabis legally in Texas. And and it's not even, and and I say use cannabis, it's not using cannabis. It's this, like, what is it, 3%? Yeah, five, yeah, five percent, and it's in like a sesame oil or something. Yeah, so you have yeah. to drink like a gallon of oil <laughs> in order to get like a hundred milligrams or something, and and so like a therapeutic dose involves drinking a bunch of oil. Yeah, that actually that can just make you sick from just drinking that much oil. Yeah, and and, so. and it's hard. I mean, anybody that's that's had mishaps with with edibles or with like like yeah. having a little bit too much THC knows like, and some people don't. Yeah, it's all these conversations have been had, but some people don't respond well, or some people respond best to flour and they can most easily dose or whatever, but limiting it to just this, some kind of oil with a low, low THC content concentrate in it. And and plus it's, is, is that even a whole like full spectrum type thing? I mean, it's just THC, right? I don't know. I don't even know what they're using. It's certainly not medicine. Wow, so definitely a much improved cannabis program before you'd consider coming back. Yes, and, but uh, but but we will be glad to visit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the heat. We're we're I've had enough Texas summers for now. I think I want some seasons. Do you have any uh, tips for the average citizen with your uh, with your background? <laughs> Phil's tips, taking you out, folks. <laughs> Wear your mask. Don't, don't flip off the cops. No don't, don't ever consent to a search. Yes. No matter how nice the officer is. How, how though, this is really important. Now we, and we can say this. You're not friends or criminal defense attorneys. How can you more frame and role play and suggest people can accomplish that, right, in the actual, you know, intersection of a traffic stop? Rather than just kind of telling them, you know, know, know your rights and stand up for them. Well, you, I mean, you, you would do the same thing that the officer does, and that's have a script. Like Got it. having a script or something that you can say. And I don't mean because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen like those like sovereign citizen type videos where people. Well, they put out the thing out the window with yeah. like your rights in the plastic. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> but it's like a, it's a real uh, confrontational kind of thing. It's, it's, it's not like a good contact. 
Um, but just having a script and not like, don't be disarmed by officer friendly. Cause that's, that's the ones that are going to, that you're going to consent to search your car for. And then all, you know, you don't know, like what, what happens when you gave your grandma who has back pain a ride to the senior center to play checkers or whatever. And she dropped one of her oxy pills in between the seats. Well, now you've got a possession of a controlled substance case. And I mean, I I can say I've seen it happen a lot of times. A lot of people that have drugs consent to searches. I don't know why. But I mean, a lot of it's being under the stress of that contact. It's not a contact that a lot of people have. And so they're convinced they don't have anything or, oh, it'll be okay. It's just weed. But that's, that's, you know, don't, don't give up your rights. That's, that's my tip and it but it doesn't have to be in a confrontational way either um you know you can was it catch more flies with honey or one of one of those things concentrates yes with concentrates well I, i think i'll just offer as an attorney is really you know understand everything's about depositions once you say something it's on a record and they're going to potentially use that so really the best thing is just to keep your mouth shut and focus on the content of the stop itself but but really like and and be smart and and be safe. Like the time to challenge a, a, a criminal charge is not on the side of the road. The time to challenge or make a complaint or do something is not on the side of the road. And that's also like the most potentially volatile and dangerous place for all parties involved. Sure, sure. I mean, you, you yeah, have that's to consider. I put, yeah, put, just, you know, pulled over for speeding, put my hands on the steering wheel, let the police officer know I recognize their job and I'm not trying to be a threat with them and. Then I can get more to the business of why they pulled me over versus so what where have you been? Yeah, and <laughs> what are you up to? And not and not making admissions. Uh, yeah, obviously. Those are you, like, yeah, they'll become part of the record. Because Anything like, you'd say will can be used against you. So like in current cases, and, and I know this is, is happening, is is and I I'm not sure if they're testing again now or what, what the status is on that in, in different counties with THC testing and everything, but you know, they they're People are admitting because there's no way to tell on the side of the road how much THC is in something. And that's, I mean, even flour, Yes. even flour. I mean, I've, I've seen hemp flour. This is beautiful. It's just, it's cannabis. It's people all cannabis. People who know it's cannabis, you can't tell the difference. It's all the same plant. Yes. And so, and that, you know, another. The terps smell the same and you don't smell the cannabinoids. So. And, and another issue that we didn't talk is, uh, talk about is like canine indications and how oh. canines are used yeah. for searches and stuff like that. And like, I mean, hemp is legal. And you can, I mean, you can buy hemp. Here, here you go. I go to the farmer's market in Georgetown, Texas. At the farmer's market, like there's like a little kid playing piano and there's people yeah. buying kale and, and like <laughs> and eggs and stuff like that. And there's like a guy sharpening knives. And then there's a lady, she's got, it's like a gallon sized glass jar. Like this, like, you know, this giant like jars full of marbles or whatever. It's huge. And it's full of cannabis flour. It's full of hemp flour and they're selling hemp flour. Like you can't tell the difference. Yes. And so, you know, and of, of course this is a whole nother issue we didn't bring up. If, if that, if that cannabis flour was being sold in the same manner at the flea market on two ninety, how would it be handled? I mean, yeah. use your imagination. Who's at the flea market on two ninety, and, and what, you know the the but the police aren't messing with the white lady selling 
sure. hemp flower. And, and it just like, all begins to sound like Grand Theft Auto. And <laughs> it really does. But, I mean, like you, you go to the places where you're going to, you know, have the action to get the points. And yeah. Which so, I'm not saying I've ever played Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> but, make, but where I was going is making an admission. Uh, if they say like, what is this? Oh, this is weed. This gets you high, doesn't it? Oh, I'm officer friendly. It's no big deal. I'm just going to let you go. It's no big deal. Like, you know, it's not illegal for the police to lie to you, and they yes, will. Yes, exactly. They absolutely yeah. will to get what they want. Once they have an admission and you say, yeah, where'd you get it? Oh, my friend ships it to me from California. Now you're making all these admissions, and like, oh, you don't know that 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 officer, you know, somebody in that department's a part of the DEA task force, and now the information about your friend shipping from California Ooh. is with the DEA. Well, no, 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 you just really hit on a key point. It's like this kind of, you know, every soldier overseas, you had two black, you know, two government contractors, right, Blackwater's other companies backing them up. So when you're saying when, when you start to mix and match the uh, federal agencies and the local cops where they're double timing, you know what I'm saying, then you have information flowing to the federal government about local well, yeah, I mean, drug I've, interdiction. I've like, I mean, I've personally Ooh. taken part in drug raids based on postal service stuff. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, and I've heard rumors where people say it's safe to ship stuff in the postal service. I would say I would be really careful because totally. that's like, federal crimes like cross state stuff so i mean i would just i would I'd, that's i'd recommend people be careful yeah. and at the same time the u.s postal service is the big drug biggest drug courier on the planet so we've got these crazy they're like, profiting yeah exactly S simultaneously uh all going on so it sounds like we're all in alignment of uh, even you know right to grows being above decriminalization once you have a right to grow and people can have it then you don't really uh, continue to have the black market problems unless you have you know bad regula regulations in those states. Well, I mean, the black market's going to exist. There's going to yeah, be a black exactly. market for everything, no matter what. But at least you're taking some of that money, you know, and like. Well, if you voluntarily set up a system right, where people incentivize the people want to go to Walmart and get their weed will, and the people who want to grow it at their own and do it at the farmers market will, and right, Ever, everyone can be happy. And it's, I mean, it supports society in like so many aspects. You have, you, you have people not losing their freedom over it, which doesn't ruin their whole lives because they can't get into school. They can't get an education. They have to have a crappy job where they don't make good money. And then they get fucked with by the police every time they go out, you know. So that's like one option. Or you can have people where we boost our economy by adding jobs you know, local stuff, like real, really boosting local economies by having local growers, people like boutique growing, small people, small, like real small business. My fear is that in Texas with big business, big business rules. Yeah. I mean, when, when John Boehner is on the, the board of a cannabis company, like John Boehner, the old Republican, like, yeah. like what? Yeah. Speaker and of so house. like, but it's just it's about the money. I mean, the values, the 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 all those things go out the window. So when it reaches Texas, when it finally gets here and the money's in it, it's just going to be a big fix. And that's that's my fear is that it's going to be a big fix. It's just like medical cannabis in Florida, the the ridiculous restrictions that were placed for growers like to be part of that medical cannabis. We already see it here, happening here in Texas. You can't get a license to be a dispensary. How do you? How do? I, how do I do that? I want to sign up and be a grower yeah, they're not and a producer you, yeah. for teacup. What did they open it for? Like two days before they shut it down. Well, and they, like, they didn't add any other you know licenses anyway. So. And and so I mean, what's going to happen? They're gonna they're gonna make it so limited to where 
the only people that can afford to come in and lose money for a while are going to be these big. And I I mean, these are like multinational corporations. You talk like there's Canadian companies that are traded on the New York stock exchange. How is, how are we profiting from cannabis on the New York stock exchange that it's legal? It's, it's illegal under federal law. Not only legal, it's a schedule one substance with no use according to the government with it's, it's, that's how screwed up it is. Everyone knows it, but I mean, what do we do? Talk about it, I guess. <laughs> how, how are uh, police handling this influx of all the back to the hemp flower? Like, I wonder when I when I walk by a bunch of cops on Sixth Street and I'm smoking like a CBD cigarette that just reeks like weed. Or you're, well, or you're hitting what, that Delta what is, A cart. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going through their their head, or how how are they? What's the training like on handling? I this? I don't know what they're currently doing. I mean, quite honestly, I don't I don't really talk to very many police officers anymore. I found like that might I've, be a good thing. I've changed. I mean, but I, I mean, I've changed enough to where I don't see. There's not a whole lot of commonality, and there's a few people that I stay in touch with. But when I talk to them, we talk about life stuff, not cop stuff. Um, I, I think it's so dependent. So there's 254 counties in Texas. And in each one of those counties, there's a sheriff's department. There's probably a couple constables' offices. So like, what does Travis County have, like six? Six precincts? So that's six separate constable precincts. That's six separate departments with their own heads, chiefs, or whatever they call them in those departments. And then you have the sheriff's department with the sheriff. So that's like county. And then you might have like municipal court officers in some places. Uh, and so there's like all these little subdivisions and different agencies in police and that's nationwide, but just in Texas, 254 counties. I mean, there's so many agencies with so many separate policies and then individuals, you know, and a lot of these smaller departments, they don't have like well-crafted policy. Their, their policy is minimal and it's probably copied from 1992 from Amarillo PD or something like that. That's usually where this stuff comes from. And so they don't have, like, real specific policies. So what happens is people do whatever they want. Small police departments, those officers do whatever they want. Well, I'm really beginning to see how maybe Mexico did win the Mexican-American War and why, uh, like, we've got all these little fiefdoms across this huge rural state where we only have session every other two years and we just can't get anything done. We're not managing the state. It's like these individual uh, fiefdoms and, well, uh, you know, Texas having like a part time legislature. Yeah. Why is that? Why is Texas is like the, the economy le- in yeah. Texas and like the, yeah. the, the, the it's we, it's a le- it's a legacy from before. Right. We had ballot initiative and then they tried to use it for cannabis in the early 90s and then they took it away. So well, ima- imagine Texas into voter suppression. That's weird. <laughs> Yikes. Wow. So, uh, well, you got Mexico's going to be legalizing cannabis within days. Yeah, Mex- Mexico Canada's beat us to the punch. It. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you you can you can visit Mexico and and have other natural medicines too. Exactly. Well, I've talked to people like, what's up with the Texas mentality? It's the outlaw mentality. You know, they're still like uh, back in the in the Wild West. We're still <laughs> fighting the Mexican American War. I mean, I would I would think with the stated. The, the you, know, you talk about liberty, like the, the term liberty, and that's freedom from government interference. And I think, you know, people people that, and unfortunately the, the word liberty has kind of been tainted with current usage, it's like, kind of like patriot. 
these words that we weren't accustomed to, to having like a negative connotation as, as proud Americans. But now, you know, like talking about, I thought Texas was all about liberty, freedom from government interference. Nobody tells a Texan what to do. It's none of the government's business what a Texan is doing. So why aren't we representing those ideals, especially these great conservative ideals that they claim to uphold? And that's not even talking about alcohol. Alcohol is the most destructive drug in our society. They're worried about methamphetamine. Well, that's why we just got to go alcohol. That's what Governor Abbott just signed. (laughs) He did. So you can go go to a restaurant. Yeah, to go alcohol. And you have drive-through alcohol. So And and, and that doesn't – I'm not anti-alcohol. Like I, I admit, I I had a problem with alcohol. I guess like if you looked in the book, it'd probably say I was an alcoholic. But I don't think it should be illegal either. I think it should be used responsibly. And if it's not used responsibly, we already have laws in place that deal with that. Just like, you know, they say like, what are we going to do with these people using cannabis? Like in Colorado, they're going to be driving. They're going to be, it's going to be total chaos. It's not like that. This the the data isn't backed by that. It, it's it, none of the stuff. And so you're, so you're if just, somebody is yeah. intoxicated, they have a law for that. It doesn't just say like driving while intoxicated. It's not driving while intoxicated on alcohol. It's on any substance. And so the law is covering that anyway. We don't need we don't need more laws. I think, and that's that's where so many people are lost right now is we don't need more laws we need less laws we don't need more laws in response to things that people don't like yeah that sounds like a menthol smoker <laughs> <laughs> the rantings of a menthol menthol did that go through menthol smoker those are the worst did that go through the menthol did they ban it yes they banned it was like snuck into the into one of those you can't put it in things, yeah, yeah one of those bill, big bills so and i know a person that smokes <laughs> so i know a person that smokes like three cartons of menthol cigarettes a I, week I, I wonder there's gonna be a see we're here we go black market yeah maybe, maybe this is the the big uh the big the big next break for the cartels is importing uh untaxed cigarettes which will happen which we know someone in new york Right, with the cops yeah. died yeah, through the Garner. whole selling yeah. Ill, you know, illegal cigarettes. I can't breathe. It killed a man over, right. over loose cigarettes. Yeah. Like, uh, and, uh, it's, yeah. Okay, here's something. The, in all these you know, government bills that get passed, nobody reads them. And one of these most recent ones, the, the same thing with maybe the menthol, but the PACT Act, which allows the ATF, kind of like the DEA, to alcohol and tobacco and farms, the Bureau to control uh, all cartridges, any kind of vape products. So now if you, any company sending that through USPS, UPS, FedEx uh, is potentially breaking a federal law. Well, and it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, what happens when everyone just says, well, we're going to do it anyway. Because that's kind of essentially what's happening. But what happens with, when nobody follows the law? And, I mean, they can't arrest everybody. Plus, what does the that problem do is, pe- is our most vulnerable people in society are the ones. And that's what yeah. white people like myself, yeah. so many white people have taken advantage of that white privilege because that's what it is. And I've heard personal testimony of, of black cannabis users going places where they see white people using cannabis in public with impunity. And they know if they go back to the neighborhood that they grew up in, they're going to go to jail. And so, I mean, that's the big divide. White people have always been able who's using all this cocaine oh yeah it's the people in financial districts and companies and that's who's using like i mean this is there's a big still a big demand for cocaine 
who's using all this? It comes down to we can't legislate morality just because mm-hmm. you know somebody doesn't agree with something that somebody else is doing. It's not, it's not hurting anybody, and you know all we're doing is empowering these, these structures, the the criminal side of it, and all. But, but the government profits handsomely, yeah. and and ruining government credibility when they're not telling the truth about all these substances for so long, and then they want to tell us about other things. We're like, wait a second, yeah, <laughs> why should we listen to you over here? Yeah, if you got it all wrong on on cannabis and other medicines, yeah, that would probably be one of the biggest actions you could take against, uh, you know, like you come up with these. Uh, we gotta have a war on this. We're gonna have a war on poverty, a war on drugs, a war. Uh, fight racism uh it's like where do you where do you actually fight an idea or or an ingrained belief but one of the biggest actions i think you could take in in taking a bite out of racism or whatever would be ending the drug war yesterday yeah absolutely okay so um i remember i was visiting my folks and they were watching the shelvin trial in minnesota and uh I just was blown away. They, you know, regardless really what station they were watching, uh, that no one is talking about the drug war. They're talking about police reform and police training and tasers and left hand and right hand. And I'm like, you know, so what you, you've seen, you, you know, you've seen this meta perspective. Why are all those people talking about that stuff and not talking about the war on drugs on TV? They don't see it. Okay. I mean, they, they're, they're so, they're don't so see in the system. So, I mean, yeah, it'd be, not seeing the bigger picture, the bigger picture, you know, I mean, in, in Minnesota, like that whole call started over a fake $20 bill, an allegedly fake $20 bill. So I think also start examining, like, as far as police powers, how how much do we as a society want to limit police powers talking about traffic stops? Do we want police officers to have the authority to stop you, you know, for having a, a an obstructed an obstructed or, windshield. Or not a proper plate, right? They pulled over that guy who was a, a active duty uh, officer, second lieutenant in Virginia in a small town. Two officers pulled him over, and he, dr- black and Hispanic, yeah, he drove to the gas station, and they had guns drawn yeah. on him. And so. Yeah, well, and, and it's it's what's challenging with that is you see these stories, and it's so egregious, and then the response of the department they only fired that officer after the department got sued and the news got a hold of it. Like, are you telling me that incident? Like, they used force. They used they used serious force against that man. That had to have been reported. I mean, did that, and I don't know, did that incident yeah. go unreported from the beginning? I haven't dug in, but how is it that they, like, the officer, oh, we fired him. Well, didn't you already review this and see that it was unacceptable independently? All of a sudden, there's public scrutiny. It's in the news, and your reaction is to fire him? Like, why wasn't he fired when it was reported and your your supervisors saw this incident or reviewed this incident? Likely, it wasn't reviewed. Do you see veterans coming back from overseas deployments joining the police force, separate from whether they were a military police or something, you know, as a way to get that same kind of community, you know, that they had there? And, and did you see that pathway as something that occurs? Yeah, for occurs? sure. For sure. Uh, you know, talk talk to us about that. What? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good police officers that that come from members of the military and people with tactical experience. I mean, they have they have a wealth of leadership experience. You know, I mean, the, the our military does a good job training leaders, especially like 
direct supervisors, you know, that direct supervision, face-to-face kind of stuff. Good NCOs, and it's, right? You know, and it's, and it's people that have had experience under stressful conditions. Yeah. And, you know, now I start to question, you know, I mean, I, I passed the psych and I had, <laughs> I, I had damage. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. anything, but like how we're looking at psych for police officers because even even they they started more recently after i left but like my department had started like oh we'll do like a checkup thing and like you have to go in and say like hey are you okay but i mentioned all those issues earlier is like what are you going to say at the check-in with the police psychologist who can pull your you pull you off the street, yeah, pull you yeah. off of duty. It's like a flight surgeon. Exactly. And so then you can't fly. And then there's all this machismo going yeah. around. Oh, they're making me go see the shrink. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell sure. them this is bullshit. And so I can go back to work. And so there's a lot of denial. And, and here's the thing, like even, so I was involved in peer support, like a lot. I did a lot of peer support stuff, understood a lot about PTSD, understood a lot about its symptoms knew all the stuff, knew all the stuff in the book and couldn't even see it in myself. And I was never confronted. Like, I, I, it, nobody ever confronted me. It, just, it was my own break. Yeah. I just see the, the pathway of people coming back from the military and not, and then it's a good way of, you know, they're not ready to fully integrate, so they join the police force, but then they can be engaged in, in propagating some of those same kind of behaviors which they're needing to get to the end of and start to integrate. Yeah, if that makes and, sense. and I mean, there's there's also a different mindset, but I think the, the mindset in policing has changed a lot, and this is kind of getting to the heart of things, is like that warrior mentality. I'm a warrior. And I'm like a, and it's like, it's not of a, a caretaker. Why? Like a police, like the police should be seen as caretakers and okay. trusted by the community, so but they're is, not. This is like a hero's journey kind of stuff then. You leave the caretaker, right? To go to the hero's journey. <laughs> but eventually you got to come home. <laughs> but it's that they've lost that, that view to where, and I mean, ask, I mean, listen to all the voices that have been screaming out over the last particularly the last year or so what are those voices saying like they don't trust the police and then we see these videos and it's it's like you know (laughs) it's just it's it's there and that's that's their reality that's people's reality but then like poor people is the same thing people if 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 poor people get treated bad too (laughs) And so there's this class of privileged class that exists in this country. And we see there's a divide driving more and more. And there's less people at the bottom with money and more pooling at the top. There was an economic draft in the military where it was, you know, a great advantage for people that were in lesser economic conditions. And you had greater representation of Hispanics and and African-Americans in the military because of those economic realities. Yeah. Wow. So how do we how do we finish this off and bring this all together, Mark? What's uh <laughs> with some with the little <laughs> with jam I just recorded. <laughs> I hope not during the show, right? Uh, this is day old. Yeah, well Phil, we're just so stoked to have you on the show. Thank you so much well, for sharing you. the most like deep and personal insights. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
it was great. Thanks for sharing your story. It was great to hear the transformation, the turnaround. It's beautiful. There's there's the le- more. The legal, yeah, Let's the check legal. back in six months. Definitely. Would love to. If you find the great slice of freedom somewhere out there, let us know where it is. I'm we'll look, be there. Looking for Samadhi. <laughs> looking for somebody. Looking for somebody. <laughs>